Hey, wanted to uh, talk. Really, the only announcement uh, that I want to make tonight is just to make everybody aware that we're starting an, a new believers class. Someone who is uh, so, if you're new to the Lord, or if you really just want to be grounded in the fundamentals of Christianity, we'll be having a class. We don't we're, we don't yet know what the time of the class is going to be. It's going to just depend upon the really upon the people who sign up for the class. Uh, because we're not expecting a tremendous amount of people in it, so we're basically going to get together and figure out you know, what, when's the best time for everyone and then go from there. So that's a, a new believers class that will probably be starting up in uh, sometime mid-April, something like that. So, uh, Scott, is there anything else that you think that we should announce to this group? You're not allowed to cheat looking at the bulletin. Oh yeah, thanks for that's that's a good one. The Cy Rogers DVD, which we saw a few weeks ago, we have uh, a number of copies available in the back. If you're interested in getting uh, one of those, uh, a copy of one of those. Anything else? Okay, we're going to be in First Kings, chapter three. 1 Kings chapter 3. Anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. There you go. Anyone else need a Bible? Bible, anyone? 1 Kings chapter 3. Going chapter by chapter through the Bible. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, there's so much to learn in your word. Lord, I think of just about how important it is, Lord God, to, to read the whole volume of your book. And just in where we've been so far in the Old Testament, Lord, the, the mercy that we've seen, the grace that we have seen, the long-suffering that we've seen, all things, Lord, that we need so desperately from you, Lord. And God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that tonight that anyone here, Lord, who needs mercy would receive, Lord, from you. Anyone who needs grace would receive from you, even as your word says that we can approach your throne, the throne of grace, confidently to receive grace, to receive mercy in our time of need. And, and Father, I just pray that um, our eyes would be open. Give us the grace to open up our eyes, our ears, and our minds, Lord, to everything you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the end of chapter 2. In 1 Kings, the very last sentence says, Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So uh, Solomon's uh, kingdom was established. It was a very, very rocky start, uh, to say the least. His brother 
uh, tried to take over, and then um, uh, then there was uh, his father's general Joab, the man who had been his father's general. Uh, he started uh, acting up, and then there's this other character named Shimei. But the end of uh, verse 46, the, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And in verse one it says, "Now Solomon made a treaty." with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter, that he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. And so uh, here you see sort of a foreshadowing of things to come in the life of Solomon. He agrees on a peace treaty uh, with Egypt and as was common for that day, when there was a treaty signed, they would consummate the treaty by uh, exchanging daughters. As one of the things that they did to, to keep the peace, the thinking that you know the, the peace will last if this uh, guy knows uh, he has my daughter uh, or I have his daughter and um, it's one of the, the ways that the, 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 tree, the peace was maintained. And uh, we do have to uh, ask ourselves, though, uh, was it right? Was this right? Well, uh, I heard an interesting study on this. If you do a study of the letter of the law, if you look through the Mosaic law, uh, you will find technically there was an argument that what Solomon was doing was okay. If you look through uh, uh, Exodus, uh, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, uh, the, according to Mosaic law, the only women the Israelites were not allowed to marry were the Canaanites, uh, which is the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, the women, uh, or the people who dwelt in the land of Canaan. Uh, we're talking Old Testament now. And... Uh, so according to the letter of the law, there may not, uh, uh, it, it may not have violated it, but according to the spirit of the law, it did, because Solomon was, uh, this is the beginning of him sort of, which would uh, result eventually in him being tangled up in another religious system. Now in the New Testament, we are clearly warned uh, that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked uh, with an unbeliever. In fact, the verse we, the chapter we're in this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, has a verse right on point. Uh, it's talking about widows there and how they can become uh, remarried, but only in the Lord, it says. But then um, also, uh, many of you are also familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there. I think this is one of these verses... Uh, that I just really think it's useful uh, reading a few times a year at, le at least and, and meditating on Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, so that's Satan, or what part has an unbeliever 
have, or a believer have with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall uh, be my people. Therefore, uh, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. And so uh, you will find uh, later on in the Old Testament, the prophets are, are, seem to be uh, very specific on the issue as well as we see in the New Testament. Do not marry an unbeliever. Uh, it, it actually, believe it or not, the time of Solomon wasn't quite as specific. Uh, but, you know, the thing that I've learned uh, uh, walking with the Lord and being in ministry and churches is, is that you can always justify, you can vir- justify virtually anything that you want to do with some verse somewhere in the Bible. Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that, um, uh, that you, know, you, know, you have to look at the, at the fullness of the counsel of, of the Word of God to sometimes get what, you really, what really is the right thing to do uh, in a given situation. And here you see Solomon uh, probably uh, getting, doing something that you know, uh, believers... Uh, certainly Christians have done uh, since the time the church was established and then even before that the followers of God have done. He follows what may have been the letter of the law, but he's just inviting trouble uh, right into his household. He uh, marries the daughter of uh, the the king of Egypt, and so she's bringing in all kinds of pagan uh, gods and pagan uh, religious practices uh, into his uh, into his life, and I, I remember uh, m- my kids have all the movies and uh, of you know Joseph, uh, Solomon, David, Jeremiah, and I, 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 and they're pretty good. And the one with Solomon, uh, it, it it it's just so sneaky the way that uh, the way that Satan will get in in this this whole area. And and there's this great scene where um, I think Zadok. Is talking with Solomon. He's like, "Why are you inviting? Why are you marrying uh, the, the princess of Egypt? She's she's going to bring in foreign." G- and, and actually, actually, by that time, she had uh, built a little temple, some shrine somewhere. And he's like, "Well, you know, you, you got to keep her happy. I don't agree with any of it. I, I I'm not, you know, I don't ascribe to any of those things. But you got to keep them uh, happy. Kind of like the sort of the, the pro-choice argument. I, I don't po- personally believe it, but you know." You, they have the choice or whatever, and, and, and but anyway, it was that type of thing, uh, and so this is um, a foreshadowing of things to come uh, here, and uh, but anyway, uh, it says that, uh, verse 2, meanwhile, the people uh, sacrifice at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And it says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And so... Um, there were high places. Now, this is something, uh, this is another foreshadowing because you'll see this throughout the book of First and Second Kings. 
and First and Second Chronicles where the Israelites just can't seem to beat this practice of going up to high places and, uh, and worshiping God there. Now, at that time, according to Mosaic Law, in Deuteronomy, the Lord had said uh, to Moses and to Israel, look, I am going to designate a specific place for you to worship the Lord. Uh, we have a lot more freedom today, but, but then as the Lord is bringing Israel up and showing them who he is, uh, they didn't have that much freedom then. They couldn't handle that much freedom, and they were going to prove that they couldn't handle that much freedom. And so he said, I'm going to designate the place. And at this time, the place was, um, at this time, the tabernacle, uh, I believe, was uh, in uh, Gibeon, or, and the ark was in Jerusalem. David had brought the ark into Jerusalem, and it was at a later time where they're going to come to the same place. So um, the high places, and you'll see this again, throughout the book First Kings, even the good kings, uh, oftentimes, there's only like one or two good kings, I mean, uh, one or two kings who also eliminated the worship places and the high places. But even the good ones just couldn't seem to uh, do away with uh, this practice. And one of the real problems with it is this, this the high places, these are like on top of hills and mountains and stuff, um, where Canaanites had gone up there and they had built some shrines and they had also built groves up there. And uh, it was just a place where uh, people worshiped God. And, and the thing about being real high on a mountain, like really, really high way up, is, is you just get this feeling that it's, there's something spiritual about it. And really, um, it's more of a psychological thing, you know, but it, they felt just closer to God. And, and this has been a practice throughout history, uh, people building shrines in high places. Uh, the place we go to, one of the places we go to in Peru. Uh, I mean, this place is unbelievably, uh, I don't know what the altitude is. It's just some ridiculous thing. In fact, when you go up to this place in Peru, you, you have to, we have to choose some sort of some sort of thing so we don't get sick. I forget the name of it, um, but it prevents us uh, from, from getting sick. And, uh, but at the, this place, way, way up there, there's like this little shrine up there. And it just, it, it's, it's just something that human beings do. And, and you know, it's out of maybe good intentions, but, but uh, it, it's really far from the heart of the Lord. But what happened is that um, uh, the Israelites uh, began to do it too. And, the, and, and Solomon follows them in, in this practice. Uh, but the problem with the practice is, is particularly when a leader goes and does it, um, uh, he, he's encouraging other people to do it too. And there's just, it's just going to lead to confusion in their life, particularly since there was such an association with uh, those Canaanite pagan practices. They would worship the Baals up there and things like that. Uh, and so, but it says that, um, it, it, it says here, in verse 4, that the king went to Gibeon and sacrificed there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon offered uh, a thousand burnt offerings uh, on that altar. And so he goes to the place where the tabernacle was. This had been a place that the Lord um, had, uh, had, had designated for people to uh, worship him there. And uh, it is interesting that it's there that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, ask, what shall I give you? Uh, and so 
all the good intentions of the world sometimes. Uh, we may have a, a real, real good intention, but if, if what we're doing is violating the word of God, uh, he's not going to honor it. And he, so he doesn't honor the worship in the high places, but he, when he comes down to the place where the tabernacle was, uh, God uh, honors him and, and meets him there. I think it's also interesting that we find that he was, he was working hard for the Lord. It says, it says a thousand... Um, it says a thousand burnt offerings uh, on that altar in, in Gibeon. I mean, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of hard work for the Lord. And, uh, and, and so oftentimes that is the case. If we're going about doing the Lord's business uh, by faith, living by faith and, and not by sight, uh, uh, we will see uh, oftentimes that, you know, the Lord coming in and... Um, and, and really meeting us there, meeting us in our service, and and uh, uh, and, and that's what the Lord does here. You know, I hear so, so many times people say, "Well, you know, I don't need to go to church on uh, Sunday." In fact, I had a guy tell me recently, "Church, church isn't just on Sunday; uh, church is every day," and and that's like so appealing, you know, and and it sounds so. Uh, really spiritual and stuff. So the idea is that you don't necessarily need to be in a building. You know, you can sort of worship the Lord, you know, wherever you are and, uh, and, and that type of thing. Uh, and there's a couple problems with that. Uh, one of those problems, by the way, is uh, even giving you the argument that somehow you can have church out on your boat or in your car or in the elevator or whatever, uh, it, 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 what's that, are your kids going to be able to do that? Are they going to be able to sort of figure that out? Uh, I don't think so. And so many Christians have, have made this mistake. Uh, but, but the main thing is, is that the Lord said, do not forsake the assembling of, uh, of each other. And, and, and he says this in Hebrews. And, and, and the church, uh, in, in a very real sense, it is on Sunday or whatever day of the week, that the church decides to get together. Church isn't necessarily every day when you're sort of driving down the street or, 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 or um, you know, on the tee. Sure, you may be praying then, you may be ministering, you may be witnessing, you may be serving the Lord, but that's not uh, church. Church is when uh, the, the body of Christ, who are all separated, get together to, to Acts 2.42, pray, read the Word of God, fellowship, have communion, and worship. And, and not only that, they get together to use their gifts to minister to one another. You can't do that when you're apart from each other. One person in the tea, another person by a river somewhere, another person skiing. You can't do that. So, so church isn't sort of like every day. I mean, you may be able to do other things every day, but church uh, is there's a, a, a specific thing. That's when the cor body gets together corporately. And so anyway, um, so even today, we can do the same thing uh, as the Israelites. We can go to the high places and, and you know, maybe take some time off on a Sunday while, the, you know, churches are, are gathering, but we're by ourselves and, you know, we're in a boat worshiping God. Well, you know, something that's like a high place. You need to be, leave the high place and you need to go to that place in the, that's been designated where the body of Christ is getting together. It doesn't matter if that's in a building or a beach or uh, hey, uh, uh, on a mountain, uh, it, you know, it, but uh, you need to go to the place where the body of Christ is getting together. 
uh, and where, where the, the, there's elders and authority and deacons and the, and the, the gifts are being used to minister uh, to one another. You know, one of the things that I tell people who uh, feel they don't ever need to uh, uh, go to church is they have a gift that they're robbing the body of Christ from. Uh, and sometimes, boy, they kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. Maybe I should go to church. Uh, anyway, uh, but um, uh, anyway, and so uh, in, in verse 4, you see him going to Gibeon. He leaves his own ideas about what worship is, and he does the right thing. He goes there, and, and the Lord uh, meets him there, and, and it's after, uh, and it's also it's after a whole day uh, of serving the Lord, of uh, a thousand burnt sacrifices, uh, and you know a lot of time, it, and then the Lord meets him there, and you know sometimes when uh, when someone is sort of drying up in their spiritual life, uh, sometimes you know if if you're in a place where you you feel like you're drying up. You, one thing to do, there could be any number of reasons, but one thing to do is, Lord, am I really serving you uh, where you want me to serve? Am I really, you know, is there some area of service that you want me to do that I'm neglecting right now? Uh, it, and, you know, you see here Solomon, you know, leaving the high place, going down and serving the Lord in Gibeon, and, and all of a sudden he, he experiences the Lord. Well, a lot of times we're not experiencing the Lord because, uh, you know, we're not really where the Lord wants us to be. Or we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do. We're not serving in the way um, that uh, the Lord wants us to. Just a few weeks back, um, I myself was just really feeling, you know, kind of kind of crusty. And I just felt the Lord saying, you know, you need to go out and tell a few more people about Jesus. You know, you get up in the, uh, in the pulpit every Sunday. That's really easy. Why don't you do the hard stuff now? And so, um, which is really true because, you know, pastors uh, can sort of hide behind their pulpits. But, hey, we're supposed to be out telling people about Jesus just like everyone else is. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Grace and I were, um, were uh, uh, walking Jonah, and we went into Mission, Maine, and uh, looking at these guys and... Uh, and Grace, she's my little seven-year-old. She goes, what are, you, what are you looking at? And I go, I'm looking at those guys. And she goes, why? She goes, well, I'm thinking about telling them about Jesus. And she goes, are you scared? <laughs> and actually, it was a real cool time because uh, these guys were playing basketball. And I, I, didn't, I really didn't feel like it would be appropriate to, to interrupt them. So, you know, we walked down a little, and there's, there was a whole bunch of kids who were a little younger. They were all in maybe 7th, 8th, ninth grade, and, and they were all gathering around my gigantic dog. He's 180 pounds. I mean, this is like, this dog is an attraction. So I'm like, wow, you know, all these kids gathering. There's literally 25 kids. I, I'm not kidding. It was just amazing. And I said, so... How many of you have heard about Jesus? And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, I was just coming, and, and you know, I started, I started sharing with them. And, and, and uh, it, was just, it was just so cool to be able to just to serve the Lord. And I just sort of felt like Solomon here going to Gibeon and finally, you know, being, you know, obeying the Lord's voice, doing what he's doing, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and serving the Lord. They were a tough crowd, but uh, I don't know. Tough crowds are kind of fun. Uh, for me, uh, and 
And I told him I would be back. We, we went back a week later, but it was like two degrees, and so there was no one there. Although, if they came, we were with Jonah. He's a really hot, cuddly dog. He's good to be with in two-degree weather. But uh, anyway, but uh, the, the point is, is that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes when, when we're, we're, we're feeling a little crusty, a little dry, we need to seriously ask the Lord, Lord, am I, am I really serving uh, or is there something else that you want me to do? Or is there some area of service? Or is there some place you want me to be um, where I'm not at? So anyway, verse 5, uh, again, it says, Gibeon, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in upright of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out and come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or granted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for your yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall uh, not be anyone like you among the kings all your days." So, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and it, indeed it had been a dream. And so the, the Lord uh, speaks in uh, dreams uh, in, uh, throughout the Bible, actually. And uh, sometimes, uh, some of you, he may have spoken to you in a dream. I just got an email from a brother this week who's had some pretty amazing dreams from the Lord, and I actually emailed him and said, could you have the Holy Spirit, pray the Holy Spirit would send some of those my way? This just sounds pretty incredible, but um, uh, he does speak in dreams, and uh, he does hear to uh, Solomon here, but, you know, the real one thing that um, it's really important as we're reading and meditating on this particular word is um, if the Lord came to you and said, Scott, what do you want? Anything. Anything you want. What would you say? Or Nick. Or Renato. Or Misty. What would you say if the Lord said to you, Christian, anything you want, what do you wish? You know, it's really, really something worth meditating on. What, what would we say? You know, sometimes, you know, we read this and we say, well, I'll ask him for wisdom, and then I'll, like, get everything else, you know, that type of thing. And um, 
uh, so anyway, but, but it, it, important thing uh, to focus in on. What would, what, would we, um, what would we say? You know, we grew up um, hearing those uh, jokes about genies, you know, genies and three wishes. You guys, you had those in Poland, right? Yeah, see? See, Poland is, you know, they're up with the times. Uh, but anyway, so I thought, you know, I, I gotta give a genie story, right? Here. So anyway, this guy was uh, uh, near a tea kettle somewhere and, the, and a genie popped out. And the genie said, okay, three wishes, whatever you want. He goes, what's your first wish? And he said, well, I want a house right on the ocean on a cape, 20,000 square feet, and you know, right, you know, right on the ocean with a little dock there and a 40-foot sloop right on the dock. Poof! The guy's like, inside is this house right on the cape. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. And then the genie appears again and goes, well, what's your, what's your second wish? And he goes, okay, got my house. I want my convertible BMW. I want a convertible BMW, Alpine speak, uh, speakers, nice shiny red. Uh, that's my second wish. Poof, all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's on the highway. You know, he's, he's like tooling down the highway. He's like, really cool. Turns on the radio. Here's this, uh, you know, the radio, and all of a sudden it comes to commercial. I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. <laughs> and he started singing along. Okay, good, good. Sam, did you like that? Not really? Okay, kind of good. So a little Oscar Mayer wiener on that BMW seat, you know? Okay. Anyway, okay. Uh, back, back, to the, uh, back to the Word of God here. Um, I... I uh, was really convicted myself as I, as I, uh, I read about uh, Solomon here because, you know, he, as we talked about last week, uh, he was already renowned for his wisdom. He really was. Uh, David pointed that out to him, I think, it was either chapter 2 or chapter 1, that he'd, he'd already, he was being known for his wisdom, uh, but still... Uh, really, the thing that um, the thing to me that is really impressive about this prayer in Solomon's heart here is not as much that Solomon asked for wisdom; it, it was that on Solomon's heart was the kingdom of God. On Solomon's heart was the kingdom of God. It says in verse nine, "For who is able to judge this great people of yours?" And so it was, the, there's just that principle, seek ye first, Matthew 6.33, the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. And, and you know, the beginning of wisdom is to recognize your need for wisdom. Uh, you know, you know that you're becoming wiser when you seek the Lord and you were asking uh, for uh, wisdom. The book of James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Meaning, you know, not you. I'm not going to give you uh, wisdom, but I'll give it to you or him. No, he gives without reproach, uh, and it will be given 
uh, uh, to him. And so uh, it, it, it's important that you know, we really, some t from time to time, evaluate our prayer life. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God in our prayer life? Or is it just, Lord, I really need this. God, I really need that. You know, I really want this. I really want that. Or, or are we seeking his kingdom? And, and really, as a pastor, I was thinking just the challenge uh, to me was, am, am, am I, in my prayer life, is it more about the, the ministry here, my ministry, or is it about his kingdom? And, and that can be really two different things because I'm supremely, it's, it, I'm supposed to be seeking the best for his kingdom. It says, my ministry doesn't matter. His kingdom does matter. And, and, and so, uh, uh, so uh, important that we're not necessarily even praying about our own ministry. We're praying for his kingdom, that his kingdom would be uh, enlarged, uh, exp the influence, uh, the, the, the you know, revival would come, that the, that the body of Christ would be encouraged, and, and that the strongholds of, of, of unbelief uh, would be defeated. And so uh, he's saying, give me discerning, uh, you know, with these sheep that you've given me, Lord. And it says that the, um, it says that the speech pleased the Lord. It says that the speech pleased the Lord. And so then the Matthew 6.33 concept just kicks right in. He asks, asks for uh, wisdom, uh, and he doesn't ask for those other things, but yet all those other things um, are added uh, unto him. And so, you know, meditate this week about really what it means to seek the kingdom of God. You know, so oftentimes we think that seeking the kingdom of God, that means really, uh, you know, we should just more than anything else, we need to want to be holy. But that can even be a selfishness. That's not necessarily seeking his kingdom, being holy ourselves. Seeking his kingdom is God. What do you want my life, what's my life going to look like in terms of, of, of your kingdom sort of expanding and growing just in my midst. Uh, and so it's, it, you know, sometimes we, we can even get, we can throw spirituality and spiritual terms on our prayers and, and you know, like, like this, it, it, but it, it really it's all about us, me becoming holy, me having a, a rest in Christ, me having a peace in Christ. And those things are all, you know, they're important, but we need to make sure that, um, you know, our prayer life is not self-centered. It's about his kingdom, his kingdom. And so it says um, in, in verse 15, Solomon awoke. It had indeed been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Now this... Um, this famous story about the wisdom of Solomon. Now two women, verse 16, who were harlots, came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
So she smothered him while she was asleep. Verse 20, so she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to, to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had borne. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is uh, my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, the, uh, the, the one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Uh, then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But, but the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And so and notice here that, um, that Solomon, in verse 24, uh, he asked for a sword. He asked for a sword. Now, I know what he got was a literal sword, but I think that perhaps what the Lord wants us to learn from this is that whenever someone asks us for our counsel, we should ask for a sword as well. And that's the sword of uh, the, the, uh, the Word of God. And that we should be giving counsel and judgment by the Word of God. Not psychology psychology not uh, you know human thinking not nice sounding ideas not our opinions but but the word of god and uh it's the best thing that you can you can uh ever ask um, you know ever use if someone asks you um is the word of god and 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 truly um, you start counseling people with the Word of God, and just like Solomon, uh, you will be established with your wisdom. Uh, God will establish you uh, to, to, to do that. And, and interesting here that uh, the true mother uh, will not tolerate division. She won't tolerate the division of her child. Uh, and that is true with... Uh, with true mothers, they won't tolerate division. I actually heard a, a, a message on, on, on this whole subject that a true mother won't tolerate a, a division and uh, how and th this pastor was talking about how there, there, were, there was a church and inside the church there was a church split and, and there was a, a, a group in the church that said, we're not going to tolerate division. This is, division is not of God. And so they actually left and uh, the Lord blessed the group that left tremendously. The true mother doesn't tolerate division. 
I was just actually speaking with uh, Shoba and Joel this morning in, in, in uh, Shoba's church. There's a great division. And, and there was a, a group that after a while, they're like, we're not going to tolerate this. And they left. And, and the Lord just really, really uh, prospered it. Um, when Jesus, you know, when it's the last words that he says you know, on the face of the earth, in John chapter 17 and also... Uh, in, in John chapter 13 and in John chapter 14, there's constantly this, this subject of unity, the importance of unity, uh, how seriously that we should take it. So a true mother, a true father, uh, does not tolerate uh, division. And so the word got out that Solomon was wise indeed. So in chapter 4, uh, he Solomon... It says he, he became king over all Israel and uh, mentions who his uh, officials were, Zadok the priest, and, and just goes through the, the different um, people, the scribes, Jehoshaphat, the, the recorder, Benaiah, over the army, Zadok and Abiathar, the priest. Actually, we read earlier that Abiathar was uh, uh, taken out of that role. Verse 5, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers. Uh, and so, in verse 7, it says, and, and Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. And so, he has these ministers, uh, or a cabinet, if you will, sort of in the palace. And then throughout Israel, he has these uh, governors uh, who are providing the, uh, the, the king food. Now, some people see this whole thing as a, as a, a model for church government where you have in, in, in a church, the New Testament actually is, is not very specific about what church, church government is supposed to be like. We do know they're supposed to be elders. We do know they're supposed to be deacons. But it's unclear exactly what the government looks like. Some churches run by democracy, others or the vote of the people, other churches vote. It's exclusively in the elder board. Uh, but here you have this picture of, you know, you have the king and you have the ministers around him, like the New, New Testament elders, and then you have uh, basically these 12 governors who are there to serve uh, the king's table, similar to deacons in the New Testament. Uh, and so some see uh, a picture of that here uh, as well. So... Uh, anyway, uh, it says that uh, in, in verse 20, it says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. I mean, what an incredibly different, uh, different picture than we saw in the book of Judges. Remember the book of Judges? There's just this picture of complete oppression of, of people living in rocks and uh, in, uh, in, in crannies and 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 just completely being enslaved, daughters being stolen, uh, uh, and crops being marauded, uh, and here you have uh, this unbelievable picture of prosperity. Judah, verse twenty, Judah and Israel, as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking, and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river 
to the land of the Philistines. So the river is probably referring to the Euphrates. As far as the border of Egypt, they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pasture. The guy had 30 cows every single day to feed his household. Wow, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of, a lot of beef. 100 sheep. So 30 cows and 100 sheep. It says, besides deers, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. Man. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from Tifsha even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. That's quite um, a picture there of unbelievable prosperity, enormous prosperity. And I tell you, this is a, a really good study and a really good devotion to just read over these few verses here, considering why was it that there was this incredible peace? I mean, just when you contrast this to what was going on in the book of Judges where the kings had to go to war every single spring. Remember we read that? Because every spring that uh, even in the time of, uh, of Saul and, 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 and in David's reign, the, the, the enemies would be creeping in, and now you just have peace everywhere. And so just a great thing to meditate on is why was it that there was peace? It's because David, went to war and shed blood before them. Before Solomon ever got into power, David was out there basically every year waging war against the enemy. And, and, sh- and, and, and the people, the, 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 the blood of the people being shed. And you know, tonight we have peace in our hearts. We have joy in our life. We have prosperity. I mean, I, 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 I love in my devotion time just thinking about how much the Lord has just prospered, uh, prospered my wife and I in 19 years, you know, walking with Jesus. We have that peace, that joy. I'm not talking about material prosperity. I'm just talking just about the joy the love, the, and, and of course, the, the, there are many times as you're seeking first the kingdom of God, many of those material things added unto you. And just when you combine all that, it's be, why? It's because Jesus Christ waged war for me. He waged war for me. You know, even leaving sight of the, uh, the cross uh, for a second. That's not a very healthy thing to do for more than a few seconds, but even you put that aside, just look at his life, and I think of the uh, temptation in the wilderness. Can you imagine uh, the, the temptation 40 days and 40 nights 
without food or water, and just having to wage war against Satan in that condition. And he just kicked his behind so bad. <laughs> you know, he, he did it that Satan just had to take off until an opportune time. I mean, and, 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 he did, and, and yet there was so much suffering in his life because he was waging war uh, on our behalf. And then when you add the cross and the unbelievable agony and whatever it was like to be taking on the wrath of God because of the sins of, of millions and, and, and literally billions of people and what that would have meant, and that, that we have peace and prosperity today because of Jesus waging that war and shedding uh, blood uh, f- for us. And, and, and yes, uh, David was a foreshadowing of the son of David who went to war uh, on our behalf. And so, why do we worship the Lord? You know, uh, Solomon was able to, to worship the Lord. We, we worship the Lord even as he reveals to us just how good he has been to us, what he's done for us. And, and, and you know, the worship should be getting, brothers and sisters, better and better as your life goes on, as you see the faithfulness of the Lord in your life. You know, I, I, I do hear uh, from time to time, uh, you know, oh, I wish I could worship the Lord, you know, the same when I first got saved. Well, you know, that's, that's a problem. Because as, as, your, as your life goes on and you see the faithfulness of God and the, the prosperity of God in your life, Worship can get better and better and better as he reveals to you his faithfulness and his goodness and his character uh, in your life. Worship can, can get better. It doesn't have to be, oh, wow, you know, it was so good in the beginning. I mean, that's a problem if, if we're sort of stuck in that kind of mindset. Uh, and so what has he done for us? And it's so important in our devotion time to think of the 10 fatted oxen uh, and then the 20 oxen from the pastures. I guess they, like, ten fatted oxen, that, that's like you stick oxen in the same place and you make them get fat, and then there's 20 oxen from the pastures. They hang out in the pastures, so uh, maybe they tasted different. I don't know. But uh, then there was the sheep and, and the deers and the gazelles. And just thinking of the, the sheep, the deers, the gazelles, the roebucks, the fatted fowl that the Lord has provided in our life. And, and, and maybe you're new to the Lord uh, this evening. And I will tell you that as, even as you're faithful to the Lord, He will bring those things into your life. He, he will give you uh, just a harvest in your spiritual life uh, and, and, and just the love, the joy, and the peace. And, and then He'll add things uh, uh, unto you. And so it says in, in verse 25, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Now, this exact same verse is quoted by Isaiah when Isaiah is basically prophesying about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, every person will be under his own vine and his own fig tree. So there won't be people living on welfare or whatever. Everyone will have his own vine and his own fig tree. 
and uh, uh, it will be a time of great, uh, enormous uh, po uh, prosperity. In Isaiah chapter 55, it says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and, and eat. Yes, come but uh, and, and eat wine and milk without money and without price. And so they'll be able to come, and, and actually I, that verse in verse 1 says, Come, buy and eat. Uh, buy wine and milk, but you don't have to, you can buy, but you don't even have to have any money and without price. And that uh, is uh, believed to be, a, 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 you know, a picture of the millennial reign. The same uh, verse is also used in Isaiah. Uh, in the millennial reign with Jesus, everyone will be dwelling under, uh, under his vine and under his fig tree. So enormous prosperity uh, in the days of Solomon. Not only Solomon, but his people as well. Verse 26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. 40,000 stalls of horses. And I wouldn't want to be the person to, to maintain those stables, i got to tell you. Woo! I bet you could smell that from a long way away. Anyway, uh, and 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each man in, this, in, his, uh, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the, the seashore. And so... Tonight, for those of you who want to stay and pray, uh, we, we haven't quite finished yet. We're going to get to the end of this chapter. But I'd like to pray that uh, for just for our church and for the leadership of the church, but, but also just for the whole church, that we would grow in wisdom and knowledge, but that we would also have largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. You know, knowledge puffs up most of the time. Even in the church, even in, in the body of Christ, as people accumulate knowledge, their hearts grow cold. They start to be patronizing towards uh, other people, other Christians. And they lose that love, even though it couldn't be any clearer. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but it, if you don't have love, it, it, it means nothing. But here, for a season of his life, Solomon had both. He had exceedingly great wisdom, but he also had largeness of heart as the sands of the seashore. Let's pray that as a, as, as a church body uh, this evening. And so um, then it says, Thus Solomon's wisdom exceeded the wisdom of all the men of the, uh, of the east, and all the wisdom of, of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and He-Man, He-Man. Ooh. So He-Man, not only was he a He-Man, he was also real smart, apparently. Wow. Uh, Chalcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now his proverbs... Uh, we see those in the book of Proverbs. 
but he had to be one wise dude to write 3,000 proverbs. Uh, you know, and I heard it said that, you know, try thinking about just one proverb that is worthy of being repeated, much less 3,000. Uh, he wrote a lot of songs. Only one of, a, one of them sort of made its way into eternity, the Song of Solomon. Verse 33, and he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And so uh, this guy was uh, pretty amazing. He, he spoke of trees. In other words, he was a dendrologist. He spoke of uh, hyssop, which is plants, so he was a botanist. He spoke of animals, so he's a zoologist. He spoke of foul birds, so that was an ornithologist, creeping things, an entomologist, and fi fish, an ichthyologist. Wow. I mean, that's like a whole bunch of ologists, this guy Solomon. Uh, he was just one wise dude, and, uh, and God just prospered him just in such an amazing way. Verse 34, And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And so we'll leave off there tonight. So what we usually do is that we, uh, any, anyone who's interested, we're going to return here in 10 to 15 minutes and pray. This evening I would like to pray for... Scott, I forgot. Told you I would forget. Scott gave me this uh, paper with the prayer requests on it, but um, it was for Calvary Chapel Missions in India, and basically this letter that we got from Calvary Chapel Missions says they've been having a real problem with persecution. I mean, like, not just calling people a weasel or something like that, uh, like threatening to kill them in physical violence. These are Calvary Chapels in India. Uh, and so uh, we really want to get alongside of those brothers and sisters. And, and I, I believe the article also just mentioned just, you know, can you imagine being a mother with children, you know, in that scenario? We're talking this morning about the persecution of Nero and that, you know, it's no, it, it, when, when Christians were being persecuted, husband would be killed and mother was left with kids. And so this is a real possibility just within our own church in, in Calvary Chapels in India. So let's remember Calvary Chapel missions. Uh, also just like to pray that um, we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but also that our hearts would grow uh, with it as well. I'd like to pray for that. And so why don't we close in prayer. If you'd like to leave and go home, God bless you. Yeah. So they shut down an orphanage because of the persecution. They don't like the orphan kids being indoctrinated uh, with, the, with Jesus. And so it's a prayer that, that they could get that back going. Yep. It's amazing uh, how you, know, you see this type of thing where people would rather see you know, children suffer and even die rather than have them learn the truth. Amazing thing. But so let's let's pray for that. Anything else?
Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you, Lord, just for this lesson tonight. And Lord, most of all, we want to thank you for your son who waged war on our behalf and shed his blood that we can prosper in just such a mighty way, that we can have this peace on really on, on, on all sides. Our hearts can just be a haven of peace. We can rest under the shadow of your wings, that we can hide in the cleft of the rock, that uh, we can just rest in the shadow of the Almighty Lord. And uh, because of what Jesus did for us, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we would grow in the knowledge of you. We pray that through your grace, we would seek your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would just purify our prayer life, Lord, so that we're seeking your kingdom, God. We're not speaking, uh, we're not seeking sort of just our needs be met, though we know that you care very much about our needs, that we're not seeking just our own spirituality, but we're seeking your kingdom. And that, show us what that's like. We're needy people, Lord, in this area, because we don't know. We know wisdom. Like Solomon, we pray for wisdom in this area, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom of how to seek your kingdom in our prayer life, in our lives, Lord. God, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you.